This is The Premise, and I'm your host, Jennifer. Chad Thompson. De- no, Chad I, Thompson's the no, host. I'm the host. <laughs> I'm Jennifer Thompson. And I'm Chad Thompson, the host. <laughs> Today on The Premise, Chad and I are speaking with the lady behind the voice, Miss Tavia Gilbert. <laughs> Hello. She is an acclaimed narrator of more than 600 books. That m- number might even be higher at this point. In 2017, Tavia won the Best Female Narrator Audi Award. And in 2018, congratulations, you were Bookless Voice of Choice Audiobook Narrator of the Year. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, and Tavia is also an actor, a writer, a producer, an editor, and the host of The Ables Podcast, described as a uniquely American soap opera podcast. And I can't wait to hear more about that. Tavia, welcome to the premise. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. So, okay, this podcast, The Ables, is a spinoff of the BBC podcast, The Archers which I hear is the world's longest running radio soap opera on air since 1951. How did you get involved in this project? Yeah, so it's what I'm most excited about. Um, as my it's audiobook. really cool. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, I think, my life's calling, actually. Mm. Um, I've been a passionate listener to The Archers since about 2007, and I think that that was just when the BBC made their long-running radio soap opera, The Archers, available uh, internationally as a podcast. So I happened upon it in about 2007, started listening, absolutely loved it. And in about 2013, uh, they started to explore a slow-burn storyline regarding coercive control and domestic violence. Mm. It was a really powerful, um, very long story arc. They took about four years to tell the story of characters who listeners of The Archers had known and loved forever. Um, A family, a woman, Helen, and her family and community going through her meeting and falling in love with Rob, um, becoming, you know, head over heels, starting this life and this family together, and then the relationship, which was so passionate, becoming mm. absolutely devastated by Rob's increasing control and emotional um, and later physical violence against Helen. It was smart and it was bold, and it was unlike any domestic violence story I'd heard before because it exemplified that violence within a household is not always physical. It can be financial. It can be verbal abuse, um, just control. I think many, many people, men and women, um, have have experience with this, and I did too. So I recognized something that I was personally familiar with and um, followed along, riveted with the audience. Hmm. I reached out to the BBC three years ago and said, here's who I am. This is what I do. I'd love to bring this storyline to American audiences. It's a story that we need as well. And that idea has grown and evolved over the last three years. Uh, Now it is being pitched. Um, It's pre-production. It's not available. It's not even written. It's not even cast yet. So Mm. it's in the very, very beginning. It's not in the beginning stages because it has been in development for three years. But I think that I'm close to making 
a deal to bring it into the world. Um, and then hire the writers, cast it, find the right recording space, and begin a radio, an audio, uh, and begin a podcast that is a daily soap opera for American listeners that will get into that course of control storyline, among many others. And the program is meant to delight and entertain and create community as well as educate and enlighten and mm. have serious conversations about what is uniquely American and what is um, particular at this time that we need to be talking about and thinking about and seeking comfort in. So, I understand that the Archers enacted le legislative change in Britain. Is that right? It was certainly... The domestic violence piece of it? Yeah, Britain did legislate against coercive control, and I think it was all of a piece that the culture was shifting. This audio drama that was listened to by millions of people had a hand in it. The domestic uh, violence charities that were local to Britain and consulted with the archers have always been working tirelessly. Um, mm. But there was a shift, a cultural shift. Um, and I think the archers was very much a part of that. Domestic mm. violence donations rose and uh, calls for assistance increased. That's the power of art to change culture, to contribute to cultural conversations. And I very much hope and intend for the Ables to have that, that opportunity to resonate with the hearts and minds of American listeners as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that's the, the whole reason behind the premise is I think that storytelling can really affect us on a deeper level, create change, create more empathy. And I'm wondering if, you know, part of your passion for going after this, this partnership with the BBC isn't about that, isn't about the power of storytelling. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's fiction. I, I have a background in nonfiction. Uh, I have a, an MFA in writing myself in nonfiction from Vermont College of Fine Arts, and I love uh, documentary work. But there is something uniquely transformative about fiction. Uh, you mentioned empathy, and fiction deepens and sparks empathy hearing the voices of people who feel like our own family and friends when we have developed a long-term listening relationship. I think that has yeah. a huge opportunity to transform individuals and then within that family systems, community systems, and nationally. Um, I think our soap operas, whether those are daytime soaps or, or the nighttime shows that people have grown up with or loved those are powerful we remember whatever our era of soap opera those are stories that you know we remember for lifetimes often. i gotta ask so. you did you watch soap operas when you were younger i didn't i actually it's a no, good question okay. i was <laughs> never a daytime soap opera watcher um but i certainly loved you know little house on the prairie i still mm. watch gray's anatomy Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there are shows that are soap opera in that they're family systems, community systems telling character driven story mm -hmm. and you see characters grow and shift and evolve and be in relationship and come out of relationship and struggle and overcome over a long arc. That to me is a soap opera. Yeah, um, where totally. it's the, the characters themselves are the, the primary focus of the audience. So, yeah. 
Yeah. I'm actually watching a series on Netflix right now called Sex Education. I've heard great things about it. It's really good. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. And the thing I was talking to Chad about this yesterday, it's like, you know, it's all of the, the, the storylines we see over and over and over the tropes, but it doesn't matter because the character development is so good yeah. that I want to follow it. Even though I know where it's going and what's going to happen, that's not the point. The point is that I love these characters. Yes. And you're rooting And I care them. about them. Yeah. And when they exactly. hurt, you hurt. That's right. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I did watch the trailer for The Ables, um, and I'm really excited about it. When do you think it's going to be out and about for people to listen to? Oh, you know, that's a really good question. I think, I don't know. I think stay tuned for n- next summer or fall 2021, mm-hmm. and that will coincide with the year that The Archers is celebrating its 70th anniversary, which is an incredible mm. feat. There are over that's incredible, 90- yeah. It's just an amazing... Uh, national treasure. It's it's an, that's even longer than Doctor Who. Oh, is it really? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's um, for them to have over nineteen thousand episodes and millions of listeners. Uh, is there's nothing like it else like it on the planet. So I'm very honored to have a part of um, to be involved in any way Archers adjacent or spinning this out of the Archers world. When I deeply honor that program and am very aware that it's a huge privilege to have anything to do with it. Yeah, it's really cool. So is it sort of like fan fiction podcast style? Like it's all the same characters? No, I think the Abel's world needs to stand alone. I It will be interesting to see how it uh earns its spin-off status. Mm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But it will be new characters um, and new scenarios and situations and, uh, yeah, a, a world that stands alone and apart from the Archers, but in some way uh, is cohesive with it. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I love that you decided, I'm going to contact the BBC. Mm-hmm. And make this happen. There aren't very many people who think, "Oh yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go after this dream. I'm gonna make it happen." Oh yeah, I mean, I think that's that's me. <laughs> I, that's yeah. kind of how I. That's just how, how you operate. operate. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I've always done that, and I think, like, I had nothing to lose. Right. Um, they yeah. were so gracious to take me seriously. I had a body mm-hmm. of work. It was. I approached them before I had won the best female narrator, Audie. So I didn't have sort of these benchmarks to say this. Yeah, you didn't even have the cachet yet, right? Yeah, I mean, I had a a body of work and then I had a seriousness and a focus and I think a heartfelt um, relationship. I I could speak to the the episodes that were going on that morning because I I was a listener and a passionate fan. Sure, yeah. But I, I think there is something about me being uniquely positioned in the world to bring this vision to life um and i i have been relentless in my pursuit of it which is sometimes means like take a deep breath and wait and see what happens for the next six months it hasn't been like day to day just calls and flurries of paper and you know (laughs) it's right right it's like an intuitive process how do you build a relationship with with an institution like that overseas for -hmm. something that every brit i've ever met in my life knows what this this show is yeah um so it 
It's an excellent piece of advice. I mean, in my work, I'm a personal branding expert and I help people build their brands. And a huge piece of that is having the courage to just reach out and ask for what you want and develop those relationships. And it is the long tail of it. You know, it doesn't, you don't ask (laughs) today and get tomorrow, right? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that there's something about sustaining the energy mm -hmm. and you have to do something that lights you up, that you love truly. Mm-hmm. And uh, have motivations that are more than that that aren't. I mean, there are external rewards, right? Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't do this if it wasn't something that I felt like this is my deep calling of work I want to make during this lifetime on the planet. Nice. And that keeps now, me really going. That's was awesome. was there any sort of like ever like any initial pushback from BBC, or was it just like? Come on in. Yeah. How about it? <laughs> yeah. No, no. I mean, I approached the then editor, head of the Archers in April of 2017, introduced myself to him. He said, sounds lovely. We had a Skype call. You need, And then he said, you need to talk to somebody higher up. So that didn't happen until November of that year. Then I started to sort of think this is, you know, there were big points along the way like almost making a deal and having it fall through and being heartbroken um and feeling like is this over and um it's it's been in a, a very emotional journey and i guess i'm stopping because it's certainly not over yet there's so much more to come and i've really learned that the highs and lows and when you think you're almost on the verge of getting what you want and then it doesn't happen thinking Mm -hmm. so where how do i advance it even with this letdown where Mm -hmm. do i go next do i give up or do i find find a different door a different path yeah (laughs) that's right and that one doesn't open yeah yeah try a different one if i had sold it a year and a half ago like i thought i wanted to and thought i was on the verge of it would not have been as mature and ready and um formed as it is now i i hope that i will make a deal in the next couple of weeks or months if that doesn't happen then i'll be at that place again but i i think it might Mm -hmm. um because all of the timing is right and because now you know i have a line item budget and a detailed daily workflow and you know it's it's a mature project it actually is not just something in my head anymore. It's on paper with bids and, you know. Like, cool. Yeah, yeah, it's forming so for sure. It is. Yeah. So, like, keeping it going. I think that yeah. is also a lesson for, for artists in their process. I would, yeah, it's a really good piece of advice, you know, to be persistent. Yeah. And that idea that, like, that's my personality. I don't take no for an answer. And I get no a lot. You know, I mean, when we yeah. started the San Diego Writers <laughs> Festival, we heard a lot of people say, yeah, no, yeah. that's not going to happen. <laughs> like, that's a real nice idea you got there, but no. Mm-hmm. And I'm the kind of person who says, okay, well, you know, yes, I'm just going to try a different way. Or, mm-hmm. Like you said, try a different path, knock on a different door. And, you know, we forge ahead because we're passionate. You know, Mm -hmm. and I think that's the the key, like you said, you have to have joy in it. Yeah. Well, and also, how does the no inform you? Okay. Is Mm. there anything of value in that no? Yeah. Why is it a no? And then can Mm -hmm. you, um, is it relevant information that you need to incorporate? Or is it something that you need to just have a very thick skin and let it roll off? Like, that's a difficult balance as well. But there's some 
benefit in hearing criticism as deeply painful as it can be. Sure. Well, but which ones do you know to absorb? Right. Like which ones, which criticisms do you take in? And the other ones you're just like, oh, well, that's. I think you know in your heart, right? Yeah. Yeah. It can be a very emotionally painful up and down journey, but. um, Yeah. Yeah. I think the. (laughs) The key is that you don't accept it and say, okay, I'm not good enough. I'm not going to do it. This dream isn't worth pursuing. Well, so that's for right. Me, yeah. Right. You, like, tell me no, and then I will, I'm going to look at it and I'm going to say, okay, so I'm, I'm getting a lot of feedback that I'm not going to be able to raise the money. Okay. So mm-hmm. now I know I need to work in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, th- it's, there's a difference between being told, like, you're not good enough and your creative body is not good enough and being told you won't be able to succeed in this for, you know, other reasons. Like when Chad and I started started our own company, we started a design house in 2004. And everyone said to us, oh yeah, you'll never make it. You can't, you can't do that. Yeah. People don't make it. You don't, you don't just create your own design house. It's, you're going to fail. There's too much competition. Yeah. And like, I love that kind of negative feedback because that tells me, hmm, I'm really going to make this happen. You know, yeah. I, 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 I never think of it as, yeah, I, I'm not able to get something done. But if you tell me like your designs are really bad, like that's a different type of feedback. Yeah. I think those absolutes, you can, people don't. Mm-hmm. never you know always all those big <laughs> things that right. are actually also bad writing right yeah. we don't yeah. write in big um, unspecific or generic or cliched terms we shouldn't direct our career path because of big right. unspecific cliched generic terms <laughs> totally so, well said if yeah. somebody says well you know the sizzle reel at minute four really peaks and the audio gets really bad then deal with that but mm-hmm. you know yeah you can never <laughs> you'll never you'll uh, never make it in this yeah. industry <laughs> i mean i was told when i was a sophomore in college that i didn't have any talent as an actor and no future in the theater by a teacher that it was deeply personal and toxic but i also mm. didn't listen to that so Uh, I think we hear those messages a lot, and I think we really have to let that stuff um, go away, get out of our energy. That Mm -hmm. seems to be a a common theme we've been hearing on this podcast. Yeah. Hmm. And I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess this teacher was male. No, actually, she wasn't. Really? No, interesting. Oh, you've gone and (laughs) thrown us for a loop on that one. No, I actually really liked her husband. (laughs) But I worked with both of them for two years and then... Maybe that was the uh, problem. Well, no, I mean, it wasn't like that, but... (laughs) um, Yeah, I don't know. You're also an actor. Um, Do you find yourself on the stage these days? Do you have time for that? I haven't been since, um, since 2017, actually, when... The same week that I won the best female narrator, I won best actress in a theater festival series, which was so great and so exciting because I hadn't been on stage for <laughs> a couple awesome. years before then. And it's been a couple yeah. years. I love theater and it's where I originally worked and my training, but I don't like the schedule. I don't like nine mm. shows a week and every night and Sunday afternoon and or traveling to other cities and being away from home for like being a theater gypsy that doesn't suit my needs or my my goals. Mm-hmm. So I'd love I'm sure that I'll do theater in the future. I don't know in what capacity, but it's um I'm not out of relationship entirely, but it's not my career. It's not my future. Well, 
I think it's interesting that you have taken this, you know, your career choice to become an actor and you've turned it into narration. And in fact, I've read that you are known to bring books to life. So Tavia, I'm curious, when did you first see audio narration as a possible career move? I loved audiobooks, um, discovered them. I always read aloud to my mother, so I've always had a relationship with reading books aloud. Mm. Um, but I really discovered audiobooks when I was an acting student in Seattle. And I think it might have been like junior year. I was driving home to Idaho from Seattle in my Dodge Neon and thought, well, I'll just stop by the library and get an audiobook on cassette and listen to it. And I put the cassette in my car and turned on Davina Porter narrating a book by Joanna Trollope. Mm, and awesome. absolutely, she is the most incredible narrator I know. In fact, I'm looking at a picture of her that I keep in my studio, <laughs> which I've told her. She knows it's not as quite as creepy as it sounds. But um, <laughs> no, I think it's awesome. I and I started crying when she started narrating, and I thought, I want to do that. I love that. I love it so much. I was really excited about, passionate about the voice acting because when I got told I had no talent and no theater in the future, you know, no theater in my future. That was at the college where I had begun. I left and started over basically at an arts conservatory. So one of the th first things that was different about the arts conservatory was the focus on the voice. And I had been singing for years and loved the voice and then started learning about my voice as an instrument in that conservatory program. Mm -hmm. Um you're an alto, right? Yes, I am. Thank you. <laughs> the best part, I like to think. Um, <laughs> I had my singing lesson this morning over Skype, which was nice. hygienic, yes, and safe. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until I moved to Maine after college, to I went to Maine to study documentary radio production at the Salt Institute, a little school in Portland, and... Thought I would move back to Seattle after the program, but fell in love with Maine and wanted to stay in Maine for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> and realized then there was not enough theater to sustain or build a professional acting career. There wasn't enough on-camera work to supplement um, in between Boston, you know, all of New England, Maine. There just wasn't enough. And I was determined to have a career as an actor. Somehow, but I also had very f limiting, uh, I also had physical limitations um, from, I was born with deformed feet and have had more than a dozen foot surgeries. And so I needed to figure out how to be insured and how to be available for the work, even if I was really having a difficult time with my feet, which happens mm. a lot. Um so voice acting just at that time, I became aware that it, it was in a shift, that studios were not the only way to record books, but people were putting studios in their homes. So it was just at the start of that. And I feel so lucky that it was a matter of timing and good fortune mm. that it, it was the perfect place for me. Well, I, I mean, I do have <laughs> talent, but I also have worked really hard and... Um, just hustled and and made it happen, really, you know, mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. put in a studio, got specific training and coaching, even though I had a degree and I'd done a ton of theater and some on-camera work, got specific coaching for that particular craft and studied and studied and studied audiobooks and then began at the beginning. And I think that that's a key piece of information for listeners that just because you have a talent or a craft in the broad area, mm-hmm. if there's something that you want, look into what tools and training you need to get more specific, to get a more um, niche expertise. Because I could not have made it in audiobooks had I said, well, I'm an actor. I know I've been in plays. I have a nice voice. I sing. I can do audiobooks. I had to learn about that craft specifically and not yeah. be sort of assuming that I had everything I needed. I had to become a student all over again. Hmm. And I think that that's the way it will be forever. I Sure. You know. Yeah, yeah you, you went about it in a very... Uh, I want to say smart way, you know, you looked at the business side of it, but used your passions to get there. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Library Journal, I want to quote this, once said, as close as you can get to a full cast narration with a solo voice. I know, isn't that nice? (laughs) It is nice. Yeah, you're one of those readers who's able to act out all the characters and bring them to life. And I'm curious, how do you determine which voice to embody each character with? It really comes through me. Um, it's not something that I think about in advance necessarily. I am prepping the script, reading the book before I narrate it. So taking... Do you hear the voices in your head? Uh, very rarely. Okay, okay. I, I wish that I did more. <laughs> um, uh, I'm marking in the script what the author has said about uh, the characters. And so I'm being... I'm preparing appropriately, but then I just do it. And usually what comes out, I keep. Sometimes I think, well, that's not quite right. But I don't spend a lot of time pre-preparing and shaping. Perhaps I should, but I'm pretty busy, so I can barely kind of get done the things that I need to get done with the hours in the day already. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it just comes comes out. And if I were to ask you to do a couple voices now, would you be able to do it? Yeah, totally. We want to hear some voices. I could. I'd have to open a script. Well, let me say this, too. You're also known as an, uh, really good with your accent work, and French in particular, but also German, Russian, British, something called RP. What is that? Received pronunciation. Uh, oh, like a okay. British. The proper British. Received yeah, proper pronunciation. Right, right. And Cockney. Yeah. It's Irish, a variety of American regional dialects, Australian, Canadian, Spanish, Italian, and probably a bunch more. So my my one question is, do you speak in any of these languages? Do you speak French? I speak a little bit of French. I love French. I have a facility with it and studied it into college. I speak, a, I hardly speak any Russian anymore, but I have studied Russian, so that makes sense to me. But um, I've sung in Italian and oh. German and German, French yeah. and yeah, Czech that makes sense. Yeah. and Russian and um, and then just over, I think my audiobook volume is like 650 titles. So I've just come into contact with a lot, including Dutch. Um, but, you know, my accents vary. <laughs> so for the <laughs> listeners, some of them are better than others. 
And some, you know, <laughs> like a book that I did in 2007 is not going to sound like a book I did in 2019. It's my work has grown enormously. And there are some books that sure, I think are yeah. bad that I feel bad at. <laughs> you know, I didn't do a better job. So not everything is like all at the same level. I'm, sure. I'm just well, human. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like you know, looking back at something I wrote twenty years ago and being like, "Oh, I'm so embarrassed." Yeah. So here's the question: Do you do impersonations of anyone famous? Not. I mean, I've certainly never performed that way. But when somebody comes into a book, I want to be as accurate as possible. So um, a good example is the obituary writer by Anne Hood, which won an Earphones Award. Uh, it had JFK, a speech from JFK in it. And so I went to YouTube, found that actual speech, and then did mm. as much of a, as close to his cadence and tone and rhythm as I could. Um, still letting it be not a, a replication, but a suggestion of what it was like in that time for listeners. Um, and I try to do that as much as possible. It's It's been interesting when I've picked up on, oh, that's something, content that I can pull from archives it's i love working that way jfk seems like a lot of talking through the nose with, mm -hmm. a, with a thick accent with that atlantic dialect <laughs> yeah let's hear it oh god i yeah <laughs> <laughs> i can't pull you know this is that's actually uh, there are voice actors who you know animation voice actors who if you say do characters they'll pull out like 15 and do it like Robin Williams spot. style, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I deeply respect that, and I deeply can't do it. <laughs> um, try as we might to try to get you to do it. Yeah, <laughs> I know, and I'm, I'm not trying to be difficult. Um, but even <laughs> the voices for... I feel bad. I feel like I let down my, my listeners, because I've had Janine Frost. Her fans are so passionate about the Night Huntress series, and rightly they should be, because Janine is amazing. And that series of Night Huntress novels and the spin-offs of the world have helped me grow my career. And then when I'm at uh, a fan event or something, they want to hear the people. And I'm like, oh, my God, I want to satisfy <laughs> you more than anything. But I just can't quite. That's not my give me an audiobook script and I can totally perform the heck out of it. But on the fly. It's, you know. I actually wanted to ask you about that because you are so professional when you're reading, I mean, in acting, it's impeccable. But on the spot, do you get nervous? Do you get like, you know, butterflies and, you know, just being on stage as yourself? Is that harder when you're not behind the mask of one of your characters? It's funny. I'm becoming more introverted as I get older hmm. and sort of a bit more shy but if i have a role to play either mm -hmm. literally a role to play or if i'm for example i was uh, on the board of the audio publishers association and i designed the curriculum for their webinars and their conferences for several years and i'm very comfortable being in the public eye in that way and being a leader and um representing or being deeply involved in union organizing or anything like that, where there is a purpose, I feel very comfortable, competent, confident, and grounded. But if it's like, go to a party <laughs> and go, right. you know, right. then I, if I think people need 
love and that person looks lonely, then again, I have a role to play, like to right. do something. But yeah. if it's just go have a good time, be relaxed, hang out with a group of people, I'm finding that's harder and harder all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm getting weird, thing. basically. Are <laughs> we getting, getting weird? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm the same way. I mean, I spend a lot of time talking and being in the public eye and, you know, I have a harder time doing it just for the sake of like going out and meeting people. Like, I know. It sounds like a terrible idea. I just want to stay home. You know? Well, in today's environment, it's going to be better for your health if you do. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I have great cats. I've got a beautiful apartment. I've got a wonderful partner. Like, why would I leave my house? Yeah. Why would I? I don't need to go anywhere. Exactly. I want to talk to you about your TEDx on innovation and transformation, if you don't mind. Mm, sure. You delivered, I believe it was 2017, you delivered a beautifully vulnerable piece where you completely opened up about your experience with chronic pain. And you, you already mentioned your being born with deformed feet and 12 surgeries. And in this talk, you know, you talk about what you learned from that. Can, can you talk about that experience, the not the TEDx talk ex itself, but the experience of having grown up with chronic pain and that wall that you hit and the anger and the isolation. You know, you're, you even talked about your inability to connect with people your own age. And I'm, I'd like you to speak about how that experience has transformed you and created the person who you are today. Yeah, sure. Um, I think it's really impacted me. I, my first surgery was when I was seven months old, and before I could even walk, my feet had had surgery, which is a, I think that's a very tough thing. And my parents are deeply loving and always have been and made the best decisions they could, but I think that was a lot. And we all agree that we would do things differently now in a more um, developed culture about what, what is what impacts us beyond our physical bodies, that we're mm -hmm. emotional, spiritual creatures, that we have energy that needs to be well cared for as well. So I think kind of like there, it was a hard start. Um, certainly to be, to have health care and health insurance and loving parents and a safe home and mm -hmm. doctors, that's a blessing and far more than so many people have. So I, it was tough and painful, and it is tough and painful, but in pro, in uh, not in proportion, it, it, I could have a lot harder time than I do. I'm very lucky. Um, but I do have a hard time. So multiple, multiple surgeries growing up, Knowing what pain is, not being in control of my body all the time, um, being in a very patriarchal culture of surgeons, that's a tough place to grow up. Um, it's lonely. Mm. Uh, it has been lonely. I, I'm less lonely than I've ever been in my life. My life is as beautiful as it's ever been. So that's a really nice thing to be able to say. Mm -hmm. um, but I've experienced a lot of pain. and. Um, had my last foot surgery in 2006 um, and kind of felt like not only will I never allow this to happen to my body again, no matter what, um, and hopefully I can be in control of that, those decisions, um, I, uh, I am also through it. I've done the things physically that need to happen for 
best function in my feet. So then in 2010, my spine and back and neck sort of went through huge trauma that's kind of hard to even identify. Herniated discs and a near rotator cuff tear. And I was sort of furious thinking, I've dealt with the Mm -hmm. feet. I don't need more. What is going on? Why is this happening out of the blue with no like accident? It just one day, boom, everything kind of blows up. Um, And at that time, I was out of work for about nine months and had to, um, you know, I went through a very, very severe depression and thought maybe this is life. Maybe I won't actually get better, which was terrifying. And I had to do a lot of hard work to heal. Healing is really difficult. Self-care is really difficult. Um, And I could have not gotten better if I'd said this is the way life is going to be. But I had a lot of support, a lot of help from loving community members. And I worked really, really, really hard to get better and still do work very hard to take really good care of myself. It sounds like you had an emotional shift, too, because I think you were spending so much time managing the pain and living in that place of pain that you talk about this moment when you realized you had to surrender. Yeah, I think it came, you know, I was in horrifying pain that just made me like I wanted to die and very depressed, aware that my marriage was ending. My career had just begun and was absolutely interrupted. I didn't know how much improvement I would make. And I was in absolute despair and anguish. And um, I just could not resist it anymore. It was so overwhelming. It filled every space within me. And there was just a moment when I thought, I just have to let go. and surrender to this let it Mm. let it over overtake me and it was like releasing inside of myself for the first time instead of holding myself outside of myself people who people will understand what i mean i bet there will be people who hear this if just a few who are like yep i know what that means and it's hard to explain but if you just let go and then, yeah, you know, and what what's I did, I thought, this is so much less painful mm. than resisting mm. it, denying it, holding myself away from it, um, resenting it, just tr- sure. like trying to stave it off. Suddenly, right. it's like I can start to come back. Mm-hmm. I wonder if, you know, having that kind of a trauma at seven months old is would significantly affect the person you become. And I just wonder, I mean, I've heard some pretty impressive um, endorsements. And in fact, here's one, a voice that will break your heart open with its tenderness and fill that fault line with gold. That's, that's quite a statement. And then and I imagine that the trauma that you've experienced, that surrendering that you've experienced, and, and of course your training as an actor and as a singer has all guided you to create these characters on the page, to lift them off of the page, if all of that is what has created this incredible narrative talent. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think I have a very uh, deep 
heart and I feel deeply, deeply, you know, intuitively <laughs> yeah, with yeah. other people's experience of life. And I think that does allow me to make characters that are fully re- realized, that sound authentic, that have a, an emotional journey. Um, because I didn't play, I mean, I had, you know, I wasn't in an iron lung. Like, I wasn't confined uh, wholly, but I didn't get to grow up going you know, playing baseball in the summer like I wanted to, and kids thought mm-hmm. I was weird. I was, but also it was, you know, <laughs> hard to deal with, like, pins coming out of the tips of your toes, holding your bones in place. That's weird and gross, and I, I don't know. Sure. It was still a lonely childhood, so I was, I read all the time. I loved the television shows that I loved. Um, I loved storytelling. It took me out of my very pain-filled body or just being in discomfort, Mm -hmm. isolation boredom um and i think that that does it has made me a person who's deeply invested in social justice and feels acute acutely that we are all each other's keeper that we are all brothers and sisters of one human family and we all have a responsibility to be in reality of people's need um and it also makes me i think the performer that i am to embody other people's experiences and think I've never been elderly and ill, but I have been young and ill. I bet it feels as miserable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are things mm-hmm. I have in common with kids in cages who sleep on concrete floors. I've never had that experience, but I know what it's like to have your entire body be filled with pain. Right. Yeah. I, I wonder, do you have a memoir that you would, would be willing to write? <laughs> would I be willing just starting today just write it sure <laughs> yeah, I mean yes, I do we want you to commit right here on air <laughs> I'll send you a first draft in six weeks yeah I definitely I do have memoir in me I have a book of essays at least one to eight I, I have a novel in me I have a writer's background I teach in the writing program where I graduated in 2013 I definitely have um language that will emerge in a different form and nice and i that i have a long healthy life so i have all the time i need to do it because i it will be hard and scary and time consuming yeah writing memoir is scary but i want you to know that when you do get it written i have the perfect narrator for you oh good that's good i definitely don't want to do it it would be way too painful and raw and hard no 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 you have to do it you have the perfect voice it's so hard to narrate your own work it's so much harder than narrating somebody else's well, I have to say narrating a book in general seems like a ton of time and hard work. Um, can you talk to us about the the process of what that looks like? Yeah, it is labor intensive, even though I'm often just sitting in my recording studio for hours. Um, when I get a book, I prepare it in the same way, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, roughly the same way. Read it, mark unfamiliar words, uh, place names personal names, languages that I need to look up to ensure that I'm pronouncing things accurately. Um, I want to get the tone, embody the author's perspective and mission. Why did they sit for a year and write this book uh, or 10? Um, So really embody their spirit. Um, with fiction I'm writing, I'm marking the character information, including, you know, her scratchy alto or his, he screeched in his baritone, whatever. 
Um, mm-hmm. Whether it's post-dialogue <laughs> attribution or just character information, I'm marking that. And I don't mark my script much more than that. It's a it's a light marking, but it's a deep, mm. deep reading. And then I do record often in Manhattan studios for publishers, but I also have a great uh, recording studio in my home um, where most of my books have been recorded, including the best female narrating Best female narration, Audie, was recorded. That's at home. pretty cool. You're yeah, like, I, I was did that, that right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm engineering my own work and sending it off to the publisher or sending it off to an editor and proofer if I'm managing the production for an author directly, for example. Um, and then I'm making whatever corrections need to be made uh, and preparing the book um, for the listener putting the final polish uh, i outsource i i narrate and self-direct and self-engineer but i outsource the other responsibilities to my great amazing team mm. and um and then going on to the next project or the next meeting about a podcast or whatever it is it's a busy full <laughs> day and it is a lot of work it takes me about an hour and a half to narrate one finished hour of content Hmm. Um, when I'm That's at home. That's not bad, actually. I'm fast. I'm very fast. Um, yeah, I've heard it can take as many as three hours to get one finished hour. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it can take six, depending yeah. on the experience level. <laughs> yeah, it does, doesn't it? It's, uh, it does yeah. sound awful. I'm happy when it takes one and a quarter or mm-hmm. one and a half. I can mm-hmm. live with two if it's complex, but if I if it's more than two, I'm doing something wrong. And this is just because, you know, you might have to go back and reread something or, you know, mark a point. Right. Um, doing editing as you go along. My tongue is twisted some sometimes, you know, I just can't something, get the words right. out. Or I'm tired or, the you know, yeah. the daycare that is in the apartment below me is pick, parent pickup time. So I've got to pause for the door <laughs> slams. Or, right. You know. I have a question. What a... What about drinking? Like, is there certain things you drink or do you not eat before you? Like, how do you prepare your instrument, so to speak? I used to. Jennifer's trying to get rid of her own mouth noise, I think. Yeah, yeah. So what do you do about the smacking? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Green apples, I have heard help and that can sometimes help. Kombucha works really well for me um, Mm. if I need a sort of slippery palate. Throat Mm. coat tea. Um, but I drink a gallon of water a day, and I'm not really rigorous. I used to, when I was starting out, not drink coffee with cream because it's the dairy makes you sticky. Um, yeah. But now I drink whatever I want, whenever I want. And, <laughs> <laughs> but that's mostly water. You. and Yeah. yeah. Well, you're recording on your time now, so. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I just feel like, uh, you know, my voice will continue to grow, but I think a voice is like an instrument. It just gets honed over time. And so 12, 13 years in and hundreds and mm-hmm. hundreds of books later, I'm kind of just ready to go get up, get going. Ready to do it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So I have a question. Yeah. What is your go-to microphone? My Rode NT2A that is the only microphone Ooh. I've used since I started. Um, All right. Going with the car, with the... Uh, yeah. With a condenser mic. I'm not really technical, you know, like my (laughs) chain is very simple and there are people who get really into the technology and I just don't. It's not it's not where I have it. I really love the editing process. So I do love Pro Tools and being really facile with that. But the um, 
the benefit of being an audiobook narrator is that you can find a good mic that is affordable and just right for your voice. You don't need to spend 10000 on a Neumann and the whole kit and caboodle. I just have what I need. And Right. And I guess that's maybe my point is that it's like you found something that works for you and it happens to be a, one of the, the least expensive mics available mm-hmm. for such a thing. Yeah, and I mean, I wouldn't do it on a your snowball, awards, so. you know, yeah. I wouldn't do like a plug-in USB. It's a professional level microphone, but it's, yeah, it's not a, I, I can't remember what the cost is, 400 maybe. It's been a while yeah. since I had to replace it. Yeah, and that's not bad. I just, Chad just puts mics in front of me and then I speak into them. That's, <laughs> that's the way. That's my level yes. of technical. Yes. Right. <laughs> that's what I do. I'm, I'm well. I want to know what you're most excited about coming up this year. The Ables is definitely the thing that consumes my every waking moment of dreaming. Um, <laughs> but I'm also excited because I edited a book. Uh, I found and acquired, edited with a partner, um, and then shepherded to publication a book called Iphigenia Murphy by Sarah Hosey. She's a debut author, uh, and her book is just beautiful. You know, I've read it mm. over and over and over in the editing process, and then I did the audiobook. It just debuted on Tuesday of this week, so it's new in the world, and it is so special um, about Ip- Iphigenia Murphy, a young, very... A courageous, bold young woman who escapes a violent home and moves into a park in Queens to look for her mother. Um, So it's got a lot of contemporary issues and um, timely content, but it is, uh, it's like an epic, I don't know, I... Modern fairy tale is not quite right, but it's, it's magical. It's a magical book. So I awesome. encourage people to check it out. Iphigenia Murphy out this week from Blackstone Publishing. And Sarah, I hope, has a bright future, and I hope to continue to work with her. Um, nice. Yeah. yeah. And then I also teach at Vermont College of Fine Arts, and I'm really passionate about that relationship. Um, and we'll continue to teach there and uh, other places that are interested in having me. And I, I never expected to be a teacher, but it's a joy and a passion in my life. I find that teaching, you know, I do teaching myself and it's just, it's it's so awesome to connect with people who are passionate about your passions. And I think it also brings you back to a place of fundamentals, mm-hmm. which is really good for us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Having, needing to explain something, needing to move thought and action through yourself into somebody else it, to inspire them, motivate them. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's really beautiful to see the light come on in a student's face when they get something, and mm-hmm. it's like, whoa, that's. I mean, I ho- as I said before, I hope I have a long life and get to do a lot of things, but that is the most important thing I've ever done is work with students, and that continues mm-hmm. any energy that I would put out into the world that will live on through them, and extend. So, it's like giving back, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, Tavia, thank you so much for spending some time with Chad and I today. We really appreciate it. This has been a, a great conversation. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. And thank you for the the kind words and the thoughtful questions and 
accepting me even if I am getting weirder by the day. <laughs> <laughs> We're all getting weird together. Totally. I'm, I'm trying to get more weird, actually. I'm more contorted. Nice. Good job. Yeah, that's that's my goal. That's awesome. Get weirder. Good mm-hmm. to know. <laughs> Chaz, like, I'm <laughs> It's like, really? Thank you so much, Tanya. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, this, this, uh, this lockdown is really, really kind of stress jennifer as far as you know her weirdness goes we're gonna get to know each other real well we'll see what happens aren't we all right (laughs) listen you can learn more about tavia gilbert at taviagilbert.com that's t-a-v-i-a-g-i-l-b-e-r-t.com where you can follow her on facebook twitter linkedin and instagram Also, learn about the Ables podcast and when that will be coming to you soon at theablespodcast.com. And check out Iphigenia Murphy. That's spelled I-P-H-I-G-E-N-I-A Murphy, M-U-R-P-H-Y by Sarah Hosey. This has been another episode of The Premise. Visit us online at thepremisepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at podpremise and subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Until next week, thank you for listening. Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye. Are you an author with a story to tell, but you're just not sure how to get that story out? Guess what? You don't have to do it alone. Marnie Friedman is an incredible writing coach. She offers personalized support and expertise to guide you from a kernel of an idea to completion. Visit MarniFriedman.com to learn more. That's M-A-R-N-I-F-R-E-E-D-M-A-N.com. This episode is brought to you by Monkey C Media, a small boutique design firm offering award-winning websites, book cover designs, book trailers, and photography services. And full disclosure, we love what we do. Chad and I founded Monkey C Media in 2004, and we're still going strong. Visit monkeycmedia.com. That's M-O-N-K-E-Y, the letter C, media.com to see how we can help you promote your book, build a powerful online presence. Mm-hmm. What else you got, Chad? Uh, let's see. We've got the San Diego Writer Festival. San Diego Writers Festival. There are many writers, (laughs) and they're a proud sponsor of our Premise podcast as well. 